For those who walked in the darkness of guilt, whose souls inhabited a land of shadows and shame, the promise of a child was not new. A child was promised to a sinner in a garden, a son who would crush the head of the servant and restore us to perfection. A child was promised to a king in a vision, a son who would subdue the raging nations and set the world right. God's people could conceive of a light that would shine in the darkness. They could dream of a ruler who would shoulder the weight of justice. But no one anticipated this awaited child, this son, would be the mighty God himself. And yet, this is exactly what the prophet foretold. The transcendent Lord who spoke the universe into existence, the powerful creator, who holds eternity in his hands. Too terrifying for Israel to approach, too glorious for Moses to gaze upon, too holy for David to house, would be confined to the body of an infant, would dwell amongst the people he created. The image of the invisible God laid in a manger, the radiance of glory wrapped in swaddling clothes he who upholds the universe, cradled in his mother's arms. Here to do what only a mighty God could do. The sovereign is the savior. The giver is the gift. The mighty God has a name. His name is Jesus. Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing? I've been out for a couple weeks. It's really, really good to be back. Merry Christmas to you. I watched last week and saw the Christmas decorations, wishing that I was here. Um, Cal kicked off our Advent series last week, and our, um, the passage that we're looking at throughout the Advent series is Isaiah 9-6. And in Isaiah 9-6, there's four descriptors of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we're going to do something unusual for us. We're like spending four weeks in one verse. And uh, my job is simple this morning. I'm tasked with preaching a sermon on two words, mighty God. And Cal mentioned last week, I want to remind you of this, that our goal for this series, our mission, is not to teach you anything about Christmas. It's to prepare your hearts for Christmas. And as I began to think about how to preach on this message, mighty God, I'm just going to tell you, this isn't really in my wheelhouse. I'm more of a um, paint-by-number guy than a blank canvas guy. Like, give me a passage, give me a book, give me a series, give me some logic, like give me some structure. That's how I want to preach. You give me two words, mighty God, and tell me to go like 35 minutes? That's terrifying. So... I began to prepare this actually last Sunday night. I want to kind of take you back to the space I was in as I was preparing this sermon. I'm going to give you a warning. I didn't warn the people last night, but I saw it on their faces as I got started that I should have. Where my mind was last Sunday night as I began to prepare, it was kind of dark. And uh, I had been going through COVID. I'd been isolated for 10 days. My hope was last Sunday that I was going to be able to come back to Grand Haven. We were staying, my wife and I, up in Bightley. Um, but I was still testing positive. I still had symptoms. She had to take care of my son Calvin's kids or his boys for a couple days. So I drove her back to Grand Haven on Sunday morning. I was back in Bightley last Sunday night, um, and I was alone. 
for the next several days. So I'm taking care of myself, which means I'm fixing myself dinner, which is a DiGiorno Supreme <laughs> pizza. Uh, the, I can't taste or smell it. It seems somewhat pointless, but at least I don't have to pick the olives off. That's good. <laughs> and um, I'm trying to pick a passage. Where, where do I take our church to drive home this point that we have a mighty God? I'm distracted. I'm battling COVID. There's another man in our church who's also battling COVID about my age. We talked earlier in the week, but a text comes from his wife and they've called an ambulance. He can't get to the hospital on his own. They're going to transport him via ambulance. Uh, she's scared. He's scared. I'm trying to picture that scene as he's loaded into the ambulance and a wife looks and she doesn't know what the next days, the next weeks are going to hold or if this is goodbye. It's just heavy. My mind is thinking about another friend of mine. His wife is going to find out in just the next couple days what her cancer treatment is going to entail. And uh, my heart's heavy with that as well. TV's on, a football game's ended, the news is on. I don't even know how it got there, but I'm watching the news and it's talking about our hospitals being slammed. Um, our schools are closing going into the next week because of fear of copycat of what happened at Oxford just a few days before. And I'm sitting there by myself thinking about mighty God. It's like pick a passage, but I can't figure out where to go. I call my brother-in-law, Scott. He's a pastor down in Orlando. His son is a youth pastor at his church, and they've had a big youth gathering that weekend. Four or five churches have gotten together, 200 kids. They've pulled off this big winter retreat. I wanted to hear how it went, and we talk about it. It was fantastic, really pleased. Many kids gave their life to Christ. They were real excited, but now it's Sunday night, and it was a long weekend, and they're tired, and they're, they're back dealing with the reality that Robert, his, his son's wife, is suffering some symptoms, and the doctors are thinking that it's, it's ALS. And they're faced with that reality. And there's just times, man, life can be heavy. Life can be dark. Come on, David, pick a passage. I let the dog out. I'm procrastinating. And it's weird, in that moment, you would think that there's so many passages that would come to mind where I could take you to emphasize mighty God, but in that moment, my choices feel really limited. Like, I don't know where to go. I'm thinking, maybe I take you back to the beginning of the book of Genesis, to Genesis 1 and 2, where you see a mighty God in display through his creative work. But apart from Genesis 1 and 2, as I begin to consider other passages, I just got to tell you, after Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible, it can quickly get pretty dark. Like, by, by Genesis 3, by the third chapter, we've got sin, we've got rebellion, we've got separation, we've got brokenness. The rest of the book of Genesis, you've got murder, you've got family squabbles, you've got God calling people, they're living in tents, they're living on the road. By the time you get to the book of Exodus, Israel's enslaved in Egypt, and though God rescues them there, he leads them to the edge of the promised land, they refuse to go in, and they spend the next four books wandering around in the wilderness. God calls them a stiff-necked people, grumbling and complaining. Finally, in Joshua and Judges, they get to the promised land, but rather than be grateful, they want to look like all the other nations. They demand a king. They choose Saul. He's awful. And following Saul, there's David. Now, David is special. God makes an everlasting covenant with David. 
David is a man after God's own heart. God loves David. But in spite of all that, he can't hold it together. He just fails as a husband, as a father, and he spends his entire life warring with neighboring nations and his own kids. Following David, you get Solomon, his son, and this is kind of the mountain peak. This is the apex of Israel's history. They have prosperity. They have a wise king. They have peace. They have abundance. But even in the midst of all of that, King Solomon, he's a writer, and you got to read what he's writing because it's pretty dark. He's like, all of this is meaningless. All of this is vanity. The grave's waiting for all of us. I think I'm raising idiot kids. That's what he writes. Solomon dies. The kingdom immediately splits into two. And over the next several centuries, prophet after prophet will show up on the scene and they will beg Israel to repent, to turn from their sin, but they never do. And by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, you've got Israel back in foreign nations, enslaved to foreign kings. 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we wake up from that nap and we find Israel again under oppression under the world power of Rome. And God delivers what he's promised through all of the prophets throughout the Old Testament. He gives the promised Messiah. And the nation of Israel goes, nah, not what we're looking for. And they nail him to a cross. Jesus, three days later, will defeat death. He will raise from the dead and the church age is born. But at the minute the church age is born, you see persecution. And throughout the book of Acts and through the rest of the New Testament, what you see is the church under persecution. Disciple after disciple, apostle after apostle, put to death. And from prison, Paul continues to write, consider it all joy. Endure. I'm just going to tell you, the Bible doesn't pull a lot of punches in describing the reality of the darkness of the human condition. Mighty God, Merry Christmas, pick a passage. I settle on Exodus 6. Can you guys turn there? Now, I got to warn you, as you turn to Exodus 6, the backdrop's kind of dark. Moses is having a bad day. In Exodus 5, Moses has been told early in Exodus that he, his job, his mission, God has put him on this task. He is to go speak to the most powerful man in the world at that time, Pharaoh. And he is called to tell Pharaoh that he is to release his labor force, his slave nation of Israel, and that he is to let them go free. That's the task that is given to Moses. And as we pick it up in Exodus 5, 1 and 2, I'm going to just read verses 1 and 2. Let me give you some background. It says this, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And he goes on in the next couple of verses. He says, Israel's just being lazy. So, so here's the new plan. They're not only going to labor, but I'm not going to give them the raw materials for their labor. They can gather their own straw. So Moses approaching Pharaoh, it only makes things worse for the nation of Israel. Now they're not just working day after day. They're working night and day, night and day to accomplish the same task. And it says in verse 21, 
leaders of the, or the, the lead workers of the nation of Israel, they approach Moses and Aaron and they say this, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses finds himself hated by his own people. Next couple of verses, Moses has some questions, some complaints for his God. It says this in Genesis 5, 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So in essence, Moses is calling God out. Hey, you're not doing what you said that you were going to do. You're not delivering your people. As a matter of fact, all you've done is made matters worse. Moses is having a bad day. That's the backdrop to Exodus 6. Let's pick it up in Exodus 6, the first verse. I want you to see this because I think in the next three verses, you're going to see something that will change Hopefully our perspectives as we approach Christmas, you're going to see something really cool. Look at verse 1. It says this, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of the land. In essence, here's what God is saying. He's like, hey, Moses, you don't think I can do what I said that I was going to do? You don't think I have the power to deliver? You don't think that I'm a mighty God? I'm going to place my strong hand on Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is actually going to be the guy who gives the command to let Israel go. The most powerful man on the planet will do exactly what I tell him to do. Now, growing up, I was the youngest of five kids. I had three older sisters. They weren't the problem. The problem was my older brother, Keith, okay? And Keith was about four and a half years older than me. And, um, well, when Keith wanted to um, torment me, what he would do, I don't know if any of you guys had big brothers. I don't know if any of this ever happened to you, but what Keith would do to torment me is he would pin me down. He would hold me down on the ground. He would grab me by my wrists. He would have me pinned down. I was powerless. There was nothing else. There was nothing that I could do to escape. And then he would slap me with my own hands. <laughs> and I would try to hold my hands really stiff so he wouldn't do anything. Boom, he'd hit me with this one. And boom, he'd hit me with this one. Did any of you guys have a big brother? Has any of that ever happened? It's, it's awful. It's just an awful moment of your childhood. That's the picture of what God is saying he's going to do with Pharaoh. He goes, hey, you don't think I have the power to do what I'm going to do? Pharaoh's going to do my bidding exactly the way that I want him to do it. And then he goes on and says this. This is what I want you to see, because I think this is just amazing in verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, his God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. I need to develop this for a moment, because what just happened, if you don't read it carefully, you're going to miss it. Here's what he says. He says to the patriarchs, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I appeared as God Almighty, as a mighty God. The, the Hebrew there is Al Shaddai. 
It has the idea that I am a God who has the power to accomplish what I set my mind to. My power is sufficient to accomplish my purposes. So he says, when I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I appeared to them as a mighty God. But then it goes on to say, but by my name, the Lord, I didn't make myself known to them. That word, the Lord, there is different than El Shaddai. That word is Yahweh. It's God's personal name. It is his covenant name. And here's what's interesting about that phrase. Theologians speculate on what's meant by this verse. That word Yahweh is used over and over in the Old Testament, or particularly all the way back into the book of Genesis with the patriarchs. So he says, I revealed myself as almighty God, but if you go back and read the account of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God is often referred to in his personal name, Yahweh. Here's what God's saying. I don't want you to miss this. Here's what he's communicating to Moses in Exodus 6 that I think makes all the difference this Christmas. To Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, I gave glimpses of who I was. They saw some of it. They didn't see all of it. And Moses, you and this people are going to see more. They knew some, I am going to reveal more to you than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob ever saw. And, and here's the significance of that, because God just communicated something that is really, I think, quite remarkable. Here's what it means. God's painting right now across the dark backdrop, the canvas of human history. He is painting a mosaic where for each generation, he is revealing more and more about who he is, his character, his faithfulness, his steadfast love, and his power. That word El Shaddai, the fact that he is mighty God, he is ruling the world with his feet up. He isn't sweating anything that is going on back in Moses' day, back in Jesus' day, back in the early church, or in our day today. Psalm 115 verse 3 says it very clearly. He says, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Look at verse 6 of Exodus 6. He goes on and says, therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God says, you don't think I can do what I said that I was going to do? You just watch me. And just think over the course of the next few days, months, weeks, years, what did Moses get to witness? He saw the plagues strike Egypt. He saw Pharaoh issue the command, just like God had promised, get these people out of here. He saw the parting of the Red Sea. He saw God's provision for his nation in the wilderness. Throughout his lifetime, he will over and over see God's steadfast love for an obstinate, rebellious people. And every promise that God has made to Moses and the nation, he will see fulfilled. God is powerful to accomplish 
what he says that he will do. The big idea, if you're keeping notes, is this. Don't miss the lights this Christmas. Don't miss the lights this Christmas. One of the amazing things, just as you begin to see this mosaic that God is currently painting, unfolding throughout every generation, is everything that I just read to you from Isaiah 6. The New Testament tells us that it is historical fact, but it is also a historical metaphor. It is a picture, this freeing of Israel from the bonds of slavery in Egypt under a man named Moses will be a picture for us in the New Testament of God having the awesome power to set us free from the bondage of sin. God's painting across all of human history a mosaic that reveals his power. Don't miss the lights. Here's three implications. Here's the first one. The light of Christmas is all around us. Look for it. So we've looked at Exodus Moses saw more than Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would ever understand. When we look at Isaiah 9-2, it says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has come. So Isaiah is told that a people that is walking in darkness are going to see a great light. What is the great light? What is this thing that pierces through the darkness? Well, he'll tell us four verses later in Isaiah 9-6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Listen to verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there'll be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I want to look at the last phrase and the first phrase. The last phrase, the zeal of the Lord of hosts. That word zeal, here's what it means. That every day when we wake up, God is painting. It is his zeal. It is his passion. His object objective in this moment of history is to reveal his character and his mighty power across the landscape of human history. That is his zeal. It's what... He does every day. He desires for us to see it. And don't miss this in Isaiah 9, 6. There are important words. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. He's not just painting and we're some sort of just bystander witnessing what he's doing. The purpose of the painting is for us. It's given to us. It's for us to see. I would argue that this morning as it relates to being able to witness the artistry of a mighty God as he paints across the course of human history, more than any other generation that's ever existed, we have the best seats. We're in the best position to witness his artistry. Hebrews 1, verse 1 says, Long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Listen, I can't go back. We cannot go back and witness God create the universe. That part of the painting is already complete. The entire gospel, the provision of a baby in a manger, the life of Jesus Christ, the death, 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those things took place. That part of the painting is already done. It is in history past. We can observe it. We can look at it. We can look at the beauty and understand it. But that part of the painting is already done. And there's coming a day, and I think it's fast approaching, where the God of this universe will actually set his brushes down. The painting will be done. We're told in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So, so there's a day coming when the painting will be complete. We won't need to be told about the mighty power of God. We're told by Philippians, Paul to the Philippian church, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The painting will be complete. The season, the seats that we have, the point that we get to look at all of this from is at the, near the end of the painting, but the brush strokes are still taking place. Are you seeing it? Like, don't miss the lights of Christmas. Are you seeing God paint in your life, in the lives around you, and what he's doing in our world? Are you guys watching what's happening at the Russian-Ukrainian border? Troops are being built up. Missiles are arriving on the site. Here's what's going on. Let me just kind of summarize it for you. God is moving the hearts of kings and kingdoms to accomplish his purposes. It's that simple. God's painting. You watching what's going on in our country? You've seen a little bit of a decline in morality in our nation. Let me explain what's going on. God's accomplishing his purposes because he's a mighty God. He's doing exactly what he said he was going to do. Our culture looks more and more like the culture that is described throughout the New Testament at the time that Christ returns. God's a mighty God. He's working his purposes. He's working it in the macro and he's working it in the micro. And we have the best seats. So about 10 days ago, I've got COVID. I've got mild symptoms, thankfully. And uh, I go into Noach, I get an infusion, and now I'm just going to be isolated for a week or 10 days. I, I don't know what you're supposed to do after an infusion. They didn't give me a ton of instructions, so I went hunting. I don't, I don't know if that's what you're supposed to do. And um, so it's a Tuesday night. And uh, I go out in a field. It's, a, it's kind of a cornfield. In the middle of the cornfield is this old tree with a bunch of um, debris that you can kind of hide behind. And quite honestly, because of the COVID, by the time I get myself into position, I'm like already exhausted. And uh, I'm out there maybe three o'clock. The sun's going to set at five. And I don't know what happened. I don't, I don't know if I dozed a little bit, but um, I'm leaned against this tree. It's cold. The wind's blowing and uh, waiting for hopefully some deer to walk into the field. And uh, all of a sudden, I look off to my left. And I got to tell you, man, the, the, the sunset, just one of those December sunsets. The sunset happens kind of quick at this time of year. The days are shorter. And all of a sudden, the sun's just, man, it's on fire. And uh, I'm, I'm looking out to the west. That picture doesn't even do it justice. It's just on fire. And as I'm looking to the west, I'm looking at that. And then I'm looking over uh, to the east. And I can already see the moon starting to rise. And the sky's getting dark there. And I don't have that much more daylight. And... I look in the field and there stand three deer. I can't figure out where they came from. I wasn't paying close enough attention. I was distracted by the beauty that I saw in the sky. And I'm looking at these three deer and, um, and then it happened. 
all of a sudden I see a few more deer at the edge of the field and they start to come out from along the edges and um, and then the best way I can describe what happened next, it looked like a marching band was taking a field. 35 more deer. I'm huddled under this tree. I'm surrounded by 38 deer in the field. I've got does, I've got fawns, I've got bucks. The, the, the bucks, there's two bucks that are actually fighting. They're kind of clicking horns. They were more playing than fighting. And I'm watching this whole thing and um, I'm blown away by a mighty God painting his artistry. I forgot to hunt. I don't think I'm much of a hunter. <laughs> never pulled my gun, never took a shot. Just gripped in that moment by a mighty God. Painting. Last Sunday, well, just after this service, Kristen and I had watched this service online, but we're driving back through Muskegon. We stop at Sam Clubs because they have a stock of COVID tests. Kristen and I don't shop a lot more at Sam Clubs because it's just her and I. We don't have to do a lot of bulk shopping. I would avoid Sam Clubs on Sherman at all costs. And um, I drop her off. She runs in. I'm sitting in my car just watching this display of humanity. And this lady comes out. She's got three young kids, uh, maybe like a five-year-old, a two-year-old. She's holding the hand of the five-year-old, the five-year-old holding the hand of the two-year-old. She's trying to manage her shopping cart. She's got another kid in some sort of harness attached to her. And um, you can tell she's frazzled. And she's talking to the kids. She's trying to keep them out of the line of traffic. They're distracted. They're not paying a lot of attention. And all of a sudden, one of the kids looks up. I was too far away. I don't know what he said. I was sitting in my car. But all of a sudden, she just laughs. And she picks up this kid and she gives him a big hug and she's laughing. I don't know if he said something funny or snarky, I don't know, but it caught her funny. And in that moment, I saw her hug that kid. And I'm blown away by a mighty God who doesn't just paint his majesty across the sky. He doesn't just paint it in the way that he cares for the animals of the field, but the way that he provides for his children with a mom who loves them. Kristen and I are sitting watching the nine o'clock service up in Bightley. An amazing thing happens. If you're up in Bightley and you've got satellite um, internet, the, the, the internet knows to download the quality of your video and your audio so that you can still get this live stream. That's crazy to me. So we've got this grainy picture up in Bightley. We're watching a nine o'clock service. And my wife looks over at me. She goes, are you getting emotional? I'm like, No. <laughs> Like, stand down. Like, 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 leave me alone. She's like, like, is this menopause? Is this finally happening? Is this catching you? And, and I'm like, like, back down. And um, she's like, do you just miss being there? I go, no, it's not it. And, and see what happened last week when I was watching the worship. It had nothing to do with the worship. But what, what was going on on stage last week, Ben was sitting there. He was playing the drums. Usually the cage is over there, but he was here because of decorations. And standing about where I was was um, Joel. And then Missy was next to her, and I think Carolyn was in the middle leading. And next to Carolyn was Landon over here. And then next to Landon was Joanna. And back playing guitars was Trevor and Emo. And um, I don't know their whole stories, but I know enough of their stories. And I know the joys and the trials and the struggles, just like every one of us have. And I'm watching this crew lead worship. And he's still transforming lives, isn't he? This group lifting praise to the Lord, I am captured by a moment where I see the brushstrokes and the artistry of a mighty God putting himself on display for all to see if we'll just look for it. 
Don't miss the lights this Christmas. Here's the second thing that I want you to see. Let God have his place. Let God have his place. Exodus 6, 9 says this. Moses spoke. So so at the end of of Moses telling the people that God's going to do everything that he said that he was going to do, we read in Exodus 6, 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. See, here's my concern. If we're not careful, because of the darkness of human existence, it's easy for us to focus on what's going on around us and get consumed by the darkness, and we just don't let God have his place. See, see, if we believe that there is a mighty God, if we believe that he is on display throughout the course of human history, if we can look back at an almost completed portrait and still understand that in this season, he's still painting. Listen, a season is quickly coming where we won't have to trust God. We'll see him face to face. This is the moment where we need to decide if the artist has lost his touch, if he's forgotten how to paint. And in light of the rest of the portrait that I can look back and see, I just don't believe that's true. I need to let God have his place in my life and quit thinking that maybe all of a sudden God's painting around me with lumpy paint. I just don't think it's the case. And I believe in a mighty God, then here's what I can do. I can deal with some of the injustices and some of the betrayals in my life. I don't have to solve every problem. I don't have to fix every problem in my kid's life. I can know that there is a mighty God on the throne. And and maybe for you, this is the gift you've got to give yourself this Christmas. Let God have his place. Let the burden that you've been carrying down. Peter writes, Cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. If there is a mighty God, then we can acknowledge that he's got this, that he's in control, that he'll finish the painting. He'll keep his promises. And finally, here's a third thing. Christmas will not disappoint. I... I start shopping this week. I think it's time. I got 10 days to go, like I can get this done. My wife's been doing planning Christmas since October. She told me this week, hey, I think I'm gonna do an Italian spread for Christmas. She doesn't normally do that. She's really excited about this. The family gets together. But here's the truth. I came down with COVID the day after Thanksgiving, and apparently I'm a super spreader. My son Christopher has it. My daughter Catherine has it. My my daughter-in-law Morgan's come down with it. Like the whole family is dealing with this. The odds of us getting together as an entire family for Christmas, we weren't able to do it last year. I doubt we're going to be able to do it this year. And I don't know what your Christmas is going to look like either, whether it's going to be great, exactly how you wanted it to be, or whether it's going to disappoint. I don't know. I don't know if the turkey is going to be moist or dry. I don't know if your weird uncle is going to show up sober or drunk. Like I, like, I don't know what your Christmas is like. But let me promise you, there's a mighty God putting on display through the artistry of his entire creation and the history of human existence. Christmas won't disappoint. Let me close just by referencing Revelation 1. And as I turn to Revelation 1, I just got to warn you, it's a little dark. 
Every character you can name from the entire Bible by the time you get to Revelation is one is dead except for two. Just the disciple John, he's old, he's banished to the Isle of Patmos on account of the gospel. And John's old friend shows up. His name is Jesus. On full display, mighty power, full majesty, visiting John in the last days of his life. And as Jesus approaches John, he says these words, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Don't lose sight of that this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that uh, as we look around us, back in history, around us today, you make yourself real, you make yourself known. Father, give us the faith to see it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.